Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today, we bring you the story of when I rebounded for Steve Nash as he put up as many shots as he could. So how was it that I was with Steve Nash in such a situation? Now, let me take you all the way back to September of 1992. I have mentioned in other episodes how I grew up in Southern California, but when it was time for me to leave home to go to college, I moved over 400 miles away to Northern California. I attended Santa Clara University in Santa Clara, California. I was there to begin my freshman year of college. I was getting settled into my dorm room and putting my clothes into the dresser and closet. I put the sheets on my bed and placed my boombox on my desk. Meanwhile, on a different part of campus, another freshman was doing the same thing. He was from Victoria, British Columbia in Canada, and he was one of seven freshmen who were there to join the basketball team. His name was Steve Nash. On that first day, nobody would have picked him out of a lineup of people likely to be on our basketball team. I know that the NBA listed him at 6'3 or 191 centimeters, but in reality, he is more like 6'1 or 185 centimeters. So, he was not unusually tall and he was from Canada, which at the time was not exactly known for producing top-notch basketball players. As I mentioned, he is from Victoria, which is on an island off the west coast of mainland Canada near the United States border. High school basketball in Victoria is some of the lowest level basketball played anywhere in Canada. Of course, none of this is Nash's fault. None of us controls where we grew up, but he was a naturally good athlete. And as a kid, he played hockey, of course, since he was from Canada. He also played lacrosse, soccer, and basketball. He excelled at every sport he tried. His father was a professional soccer player in England and South Africa before retiring to Canada. Nash's brother also played professional soccer. He is from a very athletic family. Because of where he played, he received virtually no attention. The other thing that hindered him was that he was never a selfish player. He played, as they say, the right way. He scored when he needed to, but he also grabbed rebounds and dished out assists to his teammates. He was talented enough that he could take over any game anytime he wanted, but that was not his style. He liked to play Magic Johnson-style basketball where he made the pass and got all of his teammates involved in the game. His teammates knew that if they were willing to sprint down court and fill the lane, then Nash would get on the ball for an easy fast-break layup. He won a couple of Island Player of the Year awards, but it was not enough to grab the attention of American college coaches. He even put together his own highlight film and mailed it to around 50 college coaches trying to get a scholarship to play basketball in America. Only one coach responded, Coach Dick Davey from Santa Clara University. He flew up to Victoria to watch Nash play and offered him a scholarship on the spot on one condition. Nash had to learn how to play defense. So that is how he ended up as a student at Santa Clara. 
and he arrived with no fanfare at all. This was not like when Shaquille O'Neal arrived at Louisiana State University, or when Magic Johnson chose Michigan State, or when Zion Williamson chose to go to Duke. Nobody knew who Steve Nash was or even cared all that much, at least not at first. My journey to Santa Clara was simpler. I had excellent grades and test scores, but my family did not have any money to send me to college. But because I am a person of color, Santa Clara contacted me and offered me an 85% scholarship on the condition that I maintain a certain grade point average. Of course, the 15% of the tuition that I was responsible for was still beyond my financial capability. So I did the math and figured out that if I took a student loan at 2% interest, I could pay the loan back easily within four years of graduating which is exactly what happened. So that is how I ended up at Santa Clara, which is still a very expensive private university. Now, I need to move forward in the story to the fall of 1994, two years later. Now, this would be our junior year of college or third year of university. This is where we get to the heart of our story and I ended up rebounding for Steve Nash. Now, this is a good place to take a break and I'll be right back with the actual story. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Welcome back to the show and let us continue with the story of how I ended up rebounding for Steve Nash. As I mentioned before the break, we are now at the beginning of our third year of college. Steve Nash and I were acquaintances. We would chat from time to time. I had an on-campus job manning the front desk at the university's athletic center. The building not only housed the athletic department offices, but was also the arena and the gym for students and faculty. In my capacity of working the front desk, I got to be friendly with most of the school's coaches and athletes, including Steve Nash. By this time, Nash had played two full seasons of NCAA Division I basketball and he was on the NBA radar. He worked really hard to improve his skills. At the same time, Shaquille O'Neal was getting ready to start his third season with the Orlando Magic and I said to Nash, wouldn't it be awesome if you got to be teammates with Shaq? And he just laughed and said, I don't want to think that far ahead, I'm just trying to get to the league. So, one day in our junior year, I showed up for work and I was putting my stuff down when I saw activity on the basketball court. I thought to myself, that does not look right. NCAA rules say that basketball teams cannot begin practices for at least two more weeks. This would be a clear violation, and our school wouldn't do that. 
As I got closer to the court, I noticed that it was indeed a basketball team, but they were wearing blue and orange practice uniforms. This definitely did not look right because Santa Clara school colors are red and white. My mind started racing, who is blue and orange? The only school I could think of was Pepperdine University from Malibu, California. They are in the same conference with us, so they did come to our school once a year to play basketball, but this would still be an NCAA violation. It was simply too early for practices. And then I recognized some of the players. I recognized Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance Sr., and Gerald Wilkins, the younger brother of Dominique Wilkins. I said to myself, these are the Cleveland Cavaliers. What are they doing here? A quick check of my newspaper told me that the Cavaliers had just played a preseason game the night before against the Golden State Warriors at the San Jose Arena, which was located just five minutes from our campus. It turns out the Cavaliers were getting a practice in before heading to the airport to fly back to Cleveland. Now you can only imagine my reaction. Being a devoted fan of the NBA and then suddenly finding myself watching an actual NBA practice up close, it was amazing just to see how tall these guys all were in person and how fast. These guys were all so much faster than anyone I'd ever seen at the college level. It was an incredible reminder of just how good a player has to be to even have a shot at making it to the NBA. As I was standing there watching, someone suddenly came up right next to me. It was Steve Nash. And I said, what are you doing here? Aren't you supposed to be in class right now? And he said, no, I was at home, but I got the call that the Cavs are here, so I ran over. And man, did he have to run. At the time, he shared a house off campus with half the basketball team, but it was completely at the other end of the campus. We watched for about 10 more minutes and head coach Mike Fratello called the end of practice. He tells the players they have about 30 minutes to get showered and dressed and be on the bus headed for the airport. Nash quickly runs down to the court and starts jacking up shots as quickly as he can, but he was wasting time retrieving his own shots. It took me a second to realize what was happening. Nash was using the opportunity for an impromptu tryout for an NBA team. So I ran down to the court and positioned myself directly under the basket. I grabbed the ball as it fell through the net and alternated between chest passes and bounce passes back to Nash as quickly as I could. He was moving all over the court, shooting elbow jumpers, baseline jumpers, and then backing up to shoot college threes. He was making everything. I had never seen him this hot before. He just could not miss. And I have to be honest, this was one of the most fun things I have ever done in basketball. If you have ever seen Nash play, then you have probably noticed that his jump shot is so textbook that they should have his picture next to the word jump shot in the dictionary. His shot was on display that morning, and I honestly do not remember how many shots he got up. I just was so lost in the moment. But I did notice that Mike Fertella was watching, and he started to slowly walk over. Now this was it. Nash was having a Larry Bird moment while an NBA head coach was watching. Finally, Nash missed one, and as I was chasing the rebound, Fratello walked right up to Nash and said, Hey kid, if you had made that last one, we would draft you. And then he just walked away. There are two things that I remember about that moment. One was that Fratello is really, really short. He could not have been any taller than five foot six. And number two, Nash was beaming with a smile like I had never seen in the two plus years that I had known him. Nash walked over to me and gave me a high five and said, thank you so much, Rick. The way he said it was just so genuine. It was his ultimate dream to someday play in the NBA. But it was not like Fratello did not know who Nash was. Like I said, Nash was already on the NBA radar. He was a rising point guard and every team in the NBA already knew who Steve Nash was. Now, starting that same school year, I joined the basketball broadcast team with our campus radio station. 
KSCU 103.3 FM Santa Clara. I was an analyst on a number of Santa Clara basketball games during my junior and senior years. My dream at the time was to become the next Bob Costas, who got his start calling games for the Spirits of St. Louis in the old ABA. I never did become an announcer professionally, but this podcast helps fill that gap. Today, I work a corporate job. I'm also married with three kids who still live at home. Nash, of course, would go on to play four full seasons of college basketball and graduate with a degree in sociology. My degree is in communication, and just 11 days after our graduation, he was drafted number 15 by the Phoenix Suns in the 1996 NBA draft, just two spots behind some high school kid named Kobe Bryant. In the end, Steve Nash went to eight All-Star games, led the league in assists five times, made the NBA 75 list, was league MVP twice, and is now in the Hall of Fame. He is number four on the all-time career assist list in NBA history, and he is currently trying to manage the egos of Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant as he coaches the Brooklyn Nets. Now, I have to be honest, when we were in college, I never thought that Nash would retire with more assists than my favorite player, Magic Johnson. Someone asked me way back then in college what we should expect from Nash's future NBA career. At the time, I said that Nash would probably have a Steve Kerr-type playing career. Now, that is not an insult. Steve Kerr had a great playing career as a role player on those Chicago Bulls teams led by Michael Jordan. Nash obliterated everyone's expectations. That is a testament to the kind of hard work he put in throughout his entire career. And I had a front row seat to his work ethic as he came into the gym by himself very late at night to get shots up. The guy knows how to work. If I were to meet him now, I doubt he would even recognize me. But if I were to tell him this story, I have no doubt he would remember it. So there is the story of how I rebounded for Steve Nash. So join us next time when we share the story of some of the greatest teams from the barnstorming era of basketball from the 1920s through the 1940s. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports History Year. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? 
Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.